Real Estate Rockstars listeners, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, this next episode is another episode of the King's Table podcast, a new podcast that I launched with three friends of mine. All have different experience, uh, two of them in real estate, one in manufacturing in both China and Mexico, where we talk about some of the economics in the world, some of our opinions about what's going to be happening, how to deal with the news, and how you can apply it in your life. So I hope you guys really, really like this. Be sure to reach out to me on Instagram or through reviews and let us know what you think about the King's Table podcast. Without further ado, here it is. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the King's Table. Another episode. How you guys doing? Uh, today I have with us Sage Mike Ayala. What's up, Mikey? How you doing, brother? Good. Good to be here. Ready to battle it out today. We have the hero of hospitality, Mattie, and the trend spotter himself, the one and only Mooch, Aaron Muchastegi. Um, good to see you, brothers. Excited for another episode. I'm your host, Ashish Nathu. Um, welcome to the King's Table. The hostess with the mostest. We got to keep that trend going. I was about to say the same thing. My first episode tripped me up, and you guys are going to never let me down on that, huh? No. Crushed it. Yeah. So um, we have some really good issue processing topics today. I think you guys are going to get a lot of good value from this episode. We are going to talk a lot about how we think about strategy partnerships, decisions on when to pivot your business, when to know when you should wait, um, when to walk away from a deal, at, when to go after an opportunity, when should you wait, when should you look at analytics. We have a lot of fun, good, relevant topics that we're going to go through today. Um, and maybe we'll start with partnerships as a topic. And I'm going to kind of kick us off here and we can start the conversation. Um, you know, I think partnerships is a touchy subject for a lot of people. And I think people look at partnerships as very binary in that you either are in partnerships that you accept or you're unhappy with, or you completely avoid partnerships because you think they're bad and that, uh, you want freedom. And I think there's this like school of thought that there's, there's no middle ground and it either has to be all in or all out. And I'd love to go around and talk about sort of not necessarily our experiences, but really what are the lessons that people should take to either decide if partnership is good for them and how to succeed in partnership or like increase the odds of partnership, right? And or when do you know when you shouldn't be in a partnership? Because um, and, and I also think that there is circumstances and there's a good blend for all of it within a portfolio of your life. You don't have to always be by, by yourself. You don't always have to be in partnership. So I'd love to kind of start out with that. Um, Mikey, you and I have talked about this openly. So I'm going to kind of start with you and let you lead us on the journey. Go ahead, brother. Well, I so my main two businesses um, in my life have had partners in them. And I used to say, you know, if two partners have the same strength, one of them's not needed. So really, when I'm thinking about a partnership, it's really like, you know, why, why, I think a lot of times people get into partnerships because they like somebody. Like we just start having a conversation, we get along well, and we jump into a partnership. But I think that people should be considering partnerships only from the lens of strengths and what do we bring to the table? Not because we want to hang out not because we like drinking on Friday nights. I mean, I like 
I like a ton of people. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go into partnership with them. So, um, you know, I'm looking at partnerships from that standpoint, and that's how I've always looked at it in the past. But recently, and Karen and I have spent a lot of time talking about this the last year, I think an even better filter than the strength that the partner brings to the table is, are you a values alignment? Because what I've realized, even in my current partnership, I love my partner to death. Like he's fantastic. But um, we're, we're, we've reached a point where I feel like we're no longer a values alignment. So I've kind of shifted my filter to not only does my partner bring a strength to the table that I don't have, but trying to figure out as much up front, like, are we values aligned? Because I think the two partnerships that, that I've been in, um, and, and again, I, I'm still great friends and love my first business partner too, but our values kind of were no longer in alignment. And it took me a while to figure that out. So those are kind of my you know, two filters that I would throw out out the gate that I've learned in business partnership. And I'll say lastly, I love partners. I will continue to have partners in business as long as it fits those two filters, because man, it's so much better to do life, not alone. So anyway, that's my two cents. Mooch. Let's see if I can reset my little stopwatch back here. Put it on myself. Um, we, I figured out that, the, you, you need that brother. Go ahead. I need you that for me, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you can see yeah I can see it in my, I can see it in my reflection. I figured out the secret to partnerships. I have oh. had so many different partnerships. I've partnered with family I've partnered with like siblings and cousins. I've partnered with friends. I've partnered with people I didn't know. I've partnered with like people that I wanted to have closer friendships with because it was going to help me become closer to them. And the only partnership that works for me long-term is somebody that I actually am not friends with. Somebody (laughs) that I don't hang out with. Someone that I don't do social stuff with. I've had partners that we like go on trips and go around the world and like do all sorts of fun stuff or ones that we hang out at parties. My best partner, like the longest standing partnership that's been the most profitable is we say, how are your kids? How's this? Like start every conversation starts with the 30 second check-in on that. And then we're business. And the, and the reason that's awesome is because we don't take shit personal. Like we just don't take it personal. Like there's so much because what's going to make us make a bad decision in life? Emotions, right? Like intense emotions of stuff. So when it was doing partnerships with family, something that went bad at a barbecue could affect your next million dollar business decision. Something that went, or someone's making more money than somebody else. And when you go on family trips together, then it impacts who's buying what, who's paying for dinner, who's the boss, who's not. The even like, you know, even then when Kalina worked with me. So what's great is the, and, and when I really realized I was working with a new partner, now there was different things I had to do um, to make sure the partner was performing. Cause when there's non-performance versus performance, the other cool thing about not being friends with someone and there's non-performance, you can say, here's the deal. Like the, here's an ultimatum for us to continue this partnership. If you can do it, great. If not, no big deal. The other benefit was I have a lot of different businesses. He has a lot of different businesses. The, if we were like friends and, and like I went and go and like bought a deal without him, he would instantly get his feelings hurt. Why are you doing stuff without me? We're partners. We have a real estate business. Why would you ever buy a duplex without including me? And I would Meaning, say the same thing to him. Why would you ever do this land deal without me? Why would you ever do business with somebody else without me? But because we're not friends, it makes it to where we don't take stuff personal. So I can do my own stuff. He can do his. And when we're in our business, we're focused on it. And it, yeah, after like probably eight, nine or 10 different partnerships, that's been my absolute secret. You cannot be friends with your partner. That's probably going to be controversial. You guys probably might not agree, but I think every time people start partnerships with people that they're really, really close to, 
uh, they like it's it's like a divorce, it's like a bad breakup. Mm. Mm. I think that's pretty. That is that, <laughs> pretty spot on. That's and- pretty. Yeah, pretty spot on. But I want to I want to challenge the thought just for a second to see, because I think a lot of people are looking for they're filling a void in something by partnering with something they like. You're saying that the partnership is really based on profit or business success and not much else. It's filling that purpose instead of filling some other purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you, maybe, you know, maybe like belonging or trust or they're, they're filling a, some other void instead of like, I just need to build a business that generates me income. Anything beyond that I can fill in something else. So you've been able to really divide that. I think people fall in the trap of, well, I'm not feeling that sort of loyalty, trust within my boss or within my employee structure. So I'm going to go look for friends that we could do something together and get fill that cup. So speak to that a little bit because I'm sure that's the trap that people fall into. Yeah. I don't know if you Does remember a few weeks ago, we talked about like, could you travel the world and focus on your kids and your family and like give your family 100% and also grow your business 100%? And my answer back then was there's always a choice. When you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. Um, and I think you can probably have a successful business and be friends with the person. But the um, but if, you are, if you're in a business partnership with somebody, you're never going to be as good of friends as you could be, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the business will impact when you're being friends, when you're hanging out, when you're playing golf, when you're barbecuing. The fact that you guys have a business together will make it to where you can't be as close to friends as you could be. And in the same sense, like your business won't get as big as it could be if the friendship part of it affects, like if you care about somebody, you're not going to hurt their feelings. You're not necessarily going to say what's hard. Like how many times have you not fired somebody because you cared about them? Right. And so, so anyway, yes, I think that it depends on what you're looking for in a business partnership. If you're like, Hey, I'm semi-retired, I'm bored. I kind of want to start this new business. Like if Mike and I wanted to go start like a boat rental business, because we're like, Hey, like, like we wanted to do something like that. We could like, we won't get rich on it. It won't like go through the moon or anything like that, but it could be a thing that we do now and then together. Right. Like, so the, so if you're looking for like, yeah, it just depends on what sort of partnership you're looking for. But if you're looking, but if you're trying to grow a a giant business, it's really hard. Like, again, you can't have both. Like if you're, if you're, if you're friends and partners, you're never gonna have the friendship that you could, or you're never gonna have the business that you could, if, if you were one or the other. Maddie. I mean, before I give my answer to that, I, I think it's an interesting point because I'm trying to think about, because I, I kind of do agree with Mooch in, in that context. But I, I, then the other side of me questions, well, why, why can't you have both? Who says you can't have both? And that's, all, that's where my, my mind goes. And so I'm like, well, what business partners have been insanely successful in the world that actually are friends? And, you know, when you think about longevity of partnerships, I'm trying to, to think of some like who are legit big companies or big founders or big CEOs that have partnerships that kind of were birthed out of quality friendships. I, I'm trying to think, does anything come to mind for you guys? Yeah, Charlie Munger. I mean, yeah. that, those are Charlie Munger and Buffett were like the only ones that came to mind, but like, were they really that close of friends? I don't think they were. I think they became well, friends like, through partnership, but they had kind of, and I'll, I'll go ahead. What were we going to say, Mike? Well, I just think that uh, 
I do know one, um, the Hobby Lobby family, um, which I, I can kind of give the ins and outs if you want, but the entire family um, is not the entire family, but a big part of the family is in the business and they've created structure around it. So I think That's that, because I'm sitting here thinking, I'm thinking about this and I think just as many businesses have failed with bad partnerships that weren't family, as you can say, it's family or friends for that matter. So I'm just wondering if the question is really around, you know, relationship, friends, family, et cetera, versus, you know, is it possible to have a good business with family, with friends, if you set the right parameters and ground rules and, and have those conversations going into it? And I, I think the answer is yes. I, I think it's yes. Yeah, I, I, that, that was going to be my backdoor comment, right? Which was, I think it, it's not an either or answer, in my opinion. I think it comes back to setting, at least from my partnerships that have not, you know, panned out. And mind you, some have ended on really great terms and most all have. And then only really one, not on good terms. And when I think about it, it was around alignment alignment like you guys said on values i think is probably the number one filter and foundation of successful partnerships and or failed partnerships and then i think expectations like i know a couple people that come to mind where certain partners are doing way more in the business and are working way more hours. They're making the same money and they're both 50-50. But because they have such clear expectations on who's doing what and what value that equates to in the business, they're okay with it. One guy's working 20 hours a week in the business and other guy's working 80, but they're totally cool with it because they're aligned on values and they're aligned on the expectations of what each person is required to do in that partnership. So I actually did a podcast on this like, it was really after my failed partnership because I started going through and thinking about a lot of the experiences that I had, my learning lessons, where's my DNA in this, where did I fail, where can I get better going forward? And I think there's tons of pros of having partnerships. Like when you really think about quality partnerships and one plus one equaling 10, that's where partnerships can be really, really great, really fun, really lucrative. And you get people to share in the workload right? You guys have this collaborative environment of experiences and ideas. You can obviously share in the risk. You can share in the upside. Um, but at the same time, I think it really comes back to those key things, which is expectations, alignment on values. And I also think alignment on vision, alignment on mission, because those are key things that elevate and enhance success in an organization. And I think the last piece of it is, is if you have good quality expectations and clear expectations and you're aligned on all of those things that are important, the last piece I would say is both parties having a healthy engagement and relationship with accountability in their organization. Because that, when people show up to accountability in that capacity, all it does is elevate the game. There's nowhere to hide. People have to show up and do what they said they were going to do based on those expectations and values. And I think that's what leads to good partnerships. And I also know that's what's led to maybe some downfalls of really good partnerships or opportunities. And Maddie, I, I know I'm trying to oversimplify it a little bit, but take your like, I don't know, your worst two or three partnerships. Yep. Were they acquaintances? Were they friends or were they good friends? 
all of them were, I would say, good friends. Yeah. That's the same with me. All my worst stuff, people that were super, super close to me. And so yep. I think even though it's oversimplifying and with the right expectations, there can be exceptions to how about you, like Mikey? Like, do you have like a failed partnership? And was it somebody that you were close to before? Like your both your biggest of, failure in a partnership. Yeah, both both of my partnerships, which I'm in one right now. Um and again, I I wouldn't say that they were failed in the sense that you know, we fell apart or whatever. It was just, again, I, for me, it was a values alignment. So, um, the I'm, first I'm one was family, but I'm like, <laughs> the first one was family and the second one's a friend. Um, but that being said, like, you know, a couple of things that I've realized is like, it's really easy to not create ground rules to those that are closest to you. So like one thing that Karen and I are working through right now with, um, even with couples, so we do all this work in, in our businesses. We have like vision planning, mission, annual planning, like weekly meetings, EOS, L10. And how often do you sit down and have a, you know, as we're talking like an accountability meeting with your wife? One thing that I realized like with my first partner, it was really easy. I think the two reasons why we really failed, um, number one was the setting the expectations. And I came out of that partnership saying anything with two heads is a monster. Because like there wasn't clear, you know, delineated responsibilities um, in the leadership structure. I was the general manager, but we were also 50-50 partners. So he would override me as a partner with the management team. And so the, one, the reason why I was saying that too is like in my second partnership that I'm currently in, we created a same page meeting, which EOS teaches but they don't come right out and teach it. They hardly ever talk about it until there's a problem in the ownership until team. you need it. Yeah. And then they start talking about same page meeting, but it's not in any of the books. And what that is, is just, just like we have an L10 meeting in EOS, we have to have a same page meeting that's just as structured. There's just as much accountability between the owners so that we're on the same page. And so I think, um, I think it's just easier, like Aaron, in your situation, and I don't think you're oversimplifying it. I think you're pointing out something that it adds a layer of complexity that if you can stay away from it, I think you probably should. So I, I don't disagree with uh, I mean, you're, <laughs> what you're, you're saying. Providing, yeah, Aaron, you're providing a little bit of discipline to say, look, yeah, you can you be friends and can you try? Sure. But the odds are better if you're just focusing on right. structure, accountability, profitability, and lead, get all of that other stuff from your friends and your, your, your spouse, perhaps, right? Business is hard uh, enough as it is. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right about that. So what you what what about the, and maybe I'll, I'll point this to you first, Ash, knowing that we've all had business hardships, what was the triggering event that other people might be able to mm. look down the road and potentially prevent it from happening and or see it coming yeah. based on some of the things that we've all experienced with partnerships that led to kind of the yeah. beginning this of the end. This is a great question. And I think for me, it's very simple. It's the same as in marriage. When one person outgrows the other, when one person is starting to go on a path of growth, and, and we all know that most of business is not mechanical. It's a lot of personal development, learning, uh, ego death, learning how to learn, how to manage people, how to be emotionally intelligent and just be a better um, person. 
and one person is dedicated to that and one person is not necessarily dedicated to that and you start to see that fork start to mature, that's when you know things are going to start going south. And so you have a choice at that point. You can pull people up and start giving them the support and coaching and help and training and education they need so that they can have a chance. Um, or you don't or they won't. And and that 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 fork or that separation becomes bigger and bigger over time. And then it's really hard to recover. So the same page meeting is an attempt to figure that out. It's like, oh man, where are we not on the same page? Where are you going one direction and I'm going a different direction? It goes back to values. Maybe you start to fork on values. Maybe you fork on responsibilities. Maybe you fork on ethics, whatever that is. But it's the journey of staying together the, the whole way until you realize, wait a second, I'm going left, he's going right, and what are we doing to try to stay together? Or I'm going up and he's staying where he is, and and what do I do to get him moving forward? Um, so that's my answer, and I think just to add to everything you guys are saying, I'd say I've found a lot of value in in sort of the mindset stuff, right? And allowing everyone in the team or the investment or the uh, the partnership to really focus on that stuff. Like everybody's got to focus on that stuff too. It's not just the blocking and tackling that makes a business successful. And then I've had a lot of family, which is even more complicated. And you have multiple generations of families and it's, mm. it, you know, you have different generations of, you know, Gen Xers and millennials and boomers. And so different thinking of how the world works and, right. and expectations. And so it's really important just to have super, super, super transparent information, open kimono trans, uh, communication is what I say. And, and that's why people don't have these conversations because it's scary and it's, it's, you're, you don't want to hurt people and you don't know what the outcome will be. And you never want to make your, your family feel bad and, and, or, or have fear. So I think that's, you got to have a safe space to have these conversations. Um, so that's my answer to this. But I, I also have really had this binary perspective over time of partnerships are good, partnerships are bad. And I've seen it everywhere. And so it's really important to have this conversation. I'm glad we're talking about it because there, it is not binary and there is a chance to succeed. But Mike, one one of the things you said earlier was, um, you know, I don't. Life is not as fun doing it by yourself, which I thought was it's it's a good thought to go down because I think a lot of people think that they can go do really magical things by themselves. And I'd love for you to give some perspective on, um, you know, maybe you could have done something; it would have taken you longer, and. Maybe you would have had more freedom, but you maybe got there faster because you had a partner, but then you gave up something. So there was a trade-off there, right? And I think that's often a trade-off for people that if you want to go build a billion, billion dollar business, often you're not going to do it by yourself. And often if you are going to do it by yourself, it's going to take you a freaking long time. And the trade-off to that is, well, I'm going to get a bunch of really smart people. I'm going to give up some things, control, influence, capital, whatever. And I'm going to try to accelerate that and get there faster. So that's the decision I think people have to make. We end up in those circumstances and then we have to figure out how to deal with them. But we're kind of talking about how to navigate that. Mike, any, any thoughts? And then maybe we move on to another topic. I, you know, I, 
So I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I know it gets a little bit more complex and depending on where the audience is at. I've been thinking more about like in future partnerships, whenever possible, structure a partnership that is not like 50-50 or, or even, you know, here, I was talking with Matt King about this yesterday. We were texting about it. And in one of the things like my top three are our vision, um, mentorship, internal and external, and then building partnerships. And the more that I think through this, the more I'm starting to think about, you know, in future ventures, like in my current partnership, I'm the operator and my partner was the marketing and capital raising guy, right? So in future partnerships, I'm starting to think as I've learned, um, and again, I don't want to make it overly complex, but it's actually pretty simple. We just don't know it until we experience it. So in future things, when I think about building partnerships, like when I go buy HVAC companies, can I just create, since I'm an operator, can I just create the HVAC entity and then find my capital partner and, and just have a general partnership at the top that they own 40% of and I own 60% of? And, and you know what? If we don't want to do any more deals together, we don't have to. I have the operating entity. They have the capital entity. We've done a couple deals together. If we decide not to do any more, great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage the audience, whether you know, you've never done a, you know, a partnership or or you're, you know, on number four, like how can we create structured partnerships that are easy to get out of? And I actually asked um, Kim Perel. she wrote a book, I can't remember the name of her book, but she's had multiple like 200 plus million dollar exits. And I was asking her and her husband, uh, we were in a small mastermind group in, in Miami. I said, hey, how do you guys deal with partnerships? And it was just kind of fresh on my mind because I was just kind of thinking about, this was like two years ago, thinking about exiting the current partnership or what that looked like to unwind it. And, and she literally said, we flip a coin. Hmm. <laughs> like they put it in their operating agreement that if they have a disagreement that they can't resolve, they flip a coin. And she's like, this has been after spending like tens of millions of dollars on legal battles with partnerships. She's like, and, and, and I thought this was interesting. She said, if I, can't, if I can't get comfortable with the person that's across from me, agreeing to flip a coin in a disagreement, then I shouldn't move forward. And I was like, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Back to Aaron simplifying it like that. It wasn't, I don't think it's really about like actually flipping the coin for her. It's like, if they can't get comfortable. Yeah. Like knowing that they would agree to flip a coin to get out of this thing, then they're not moving forward. And I was like, wow, that was, I think just, you know, pausing and calmly reflecting on, do I want to move forward with this person? Right. If there's a 50% chance that at any time we're going to go with their idea instead of mine, even if I, I'm okay two, with that. Two little things I do want. I just wanted to add to that, like advice for people, like advice for people as they're thinking about businesses and even Ash, you're talking about when the business has changed because people are, are in different pages. I don't think anybody cares about being on a different page until the business starts having complications, right? Mm-hmm. The when, when we're no, printing I money. I disagree with that. Okay. You're saying in terms of when the business is suffering. I, well, just when it changes, whenever, when, whenever it's like starting to make a little bit less money or when it's not I think, growing, I think you can, I think you can experience forks in the roads, even when you're making a lot of money. In fact, it it's, it's, it's on both sides. When you lose money, you start seeing forks. When you make a lot of money, you start seeing forks because people, their behavior changes based on the circumstance. Just because you're making a lot of money doesn't mean that, uh, oh, everything is as expected. Because when you're making money, people are like, oh, damn, we're making money. I didn't, maybe I didn't even think that was possible. Now, what am I going to do? And so you see different behaviors. I'm like, hey, we're making money. I'm going to stay out of his lane. Like the, 
Like, yeah, I'm like, hey, I'm making money. I don't care what he's doing true. on the weekend. The, but that's if we start making less, I'm like, okay, let's start cutting together. But I totally get your point. So maybe I just look at stuff different. The, but I yeah. try to, but I've been in plenty of bad ones. Best advice that was ever given to me. Like if you are going to, I love the coin toss one. Maybe that's going to become the new one, but it was, should always be 51 49. And the 51 should always be the person that's worth more money uh, because they're the one that's going to get taken after if there's ever a lawsuit or anything else. It's really simple to go like, no, it's 51 49 because if someone's going to be a target in this, I'm going to be the target instead because I have more assets than you. So that part's like the really, the real simple. But then every business agreement, you should know that like 90% of them end up in like a business breakup divorce that like isn't cordial. So like that's other advice I got at the very beginning was in, in that original document, especially if it's friends and family in that original document, it says, I have a right to buy you out for X at any time, right? For any reason, for any reason at all, like the, if I decide that it's not going to go anymore, a third party evaluator values it and I get to buy you out for that. And it's like, puts it's like the buy sell agreements or I have a right to sell because then it just makes it, you have to expect that 90% of the stuff's going to end in failure. So put in the documents ahead of time. When it does fail, how does what happens when it breaks up? Instead of like, like just like like the coin toss thing. So that, my two little cents on it is like prepare for it at the end, um, because when everybody's excited at the beginning, we're not thinking about that. But if you got everybody is nodding with mood, so that's really good advice. Everybody's well, agreeing I, with this one. I I want I want to say one thing on that too, and I think that's brilliant advice. And I'll tell you, even even if it's not a bad breakup, there's we're talking about partnerships that end bad, but sometimes partnerships can end well, um, mm-hmm. especially if you have that up front. And you know, there was, I think Maddie kind of asked this earlier, like what was the, you know, f- for me in my first business, Kara literally in 20, I think it was 2012. It was, she said in 10 years when our daughter graduates, which is our youngest, which is 2022, it just happened. She's like 10 years from now, I want to take a year off. We got married young, um, like our entire adult life was raising kids and running businesses. Right. And, and, and she just had this idea in her head that when Kate and graduated, she wanted to take a year off. And I went and asked my, I started talking to my business partner. I said, Hey, I think we need to bring in a general manager. Cause I'm thinking 10 years down the road, like I'm the GM and I'm thinking 10 years down the road, how am I going to take a year off? And he looked at me and he said, well, if we do that, what are you going to do? And that was the moment that I realized like we, we were no long, we were not values aligned in the long term. And when I said that early on, you know, people might think, well, values meaning faith or what. No, it was literally just the way that I look at time. One of my top values is freedom. And my business partner wants to work a hundred hours a week and he'll work until he's a hundred. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with like I don't, I don't want my life to look like that. And so we were able, we were able to walk through that whole process and get through it without a bad situation. But it would have been a hell of a lot easier if I would have started where Aaron said and had like a buy sell agreement out the gate. But I was 24 years old. I didn't know any better, right? But yeah. fortunately, it ended well. But that's what I was talking about with the values alignment. It could, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good life change that makes us want to, you know, pull the partnership apart. But it still doesn't make it any easier if we don't have like parameters around it. You can be mm-hmm. getting along and still not figure out how to get out of the business without, you know, clear yeah. expectations. Good, good or bad, wanna, it will end someday. <clears throat> yeah. I want to pivot to another topic and give it to Mooch, but I want to just add, because Mike, you talk a lot about this, is I think that a lot of people who want the glory of business ownership, and I'm going to use that word intentionally, 
this sort of like over glorified thing, believe that they're going to receive freedom when they somehow are an owner or a partner in a company, that that's the glorious godly thing to do to gain freedom is to be your own boss. And 90% of owners don't own a company, they own a job. And that's the difference between what you experienced and your partner experience is that you were not interested in owning a job. You were interested in owning a company to provide you freedom. But we could go down that rabbit hole, but it's very, it's a huge trap that I think people get into, especially all this conversation where people are encouraged to leave their W-2 job to go start a business so you can go get freedom. And in reality, all you did was trade one job for another with more responsibility and less skills. So just something for people to think about. Um, before you pivot. Mike, you want to close and then I want to pivot. Yeah, before you pivot, I just wanted to add, I wanted to see if there was anything you guys would add to this because I, I wrote some notes down. So for anybody that is considering going into partnership with somebody and exploring what that might look like, these are some of the things that I heard come out of all of our mouths. Make sure that you are aligned on values, vision, mission. Set clear expectations from the start. Outline how you'll manage business finances, handle money issues, handle disputes, handle dissolution, what type of legal partnership you will choose or how you structure it is extremely important. And uh, decide how you guys will handle opportunities that are presented to avoid jealousy, envy. The one thing that I would add to that is operating agreement and clear expectations on buying and selling. Is there anything else you would add to the listener that's thinking about partnership with somebody? You can put an asterisk that says mooch only and just say, don't be friends. Don't be friends. <laughs> I, I just, I've realized I after all of this that I'm never going to be in business with mooch. You just, he's not going to let me. I can't. No, we'll do a boat rental business. We can do a lemonade stand. We can do some small stuff. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, as long as it's not a real business that makes money, we can go in business together. Yeah. It's going to be fine. <laughs> as long as we're I'll, not I'll add, I'll add, I'll add one thing really quick to it. And this is not something that I came up with. It's something that I heard from a friend and mentor of mine that I'm going to implement going forward. He started a partnership recently and they went away for two days and locked themselves in a conference room and talked about every quirk, the way that they you know, like to work the days they don't like to work when I'm on vacation, I don't want to be bought like everything that could possibly, um, come up, bother them. Yeah. They tried to talk through it. And I was like, man, that to, to kind of try to go to that what, level is good. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. That was, that was really good. Yeah. Be super, 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 super open in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets harder and harder to be open over time. The best chance you have of finding the cobwebs is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Get past the romance, the cloud nine, the, yeah. the sexy part of partnership, which is where everyone gets excited and no one talks about anything real. And then you start having real problems and then it, and that's when shit goes south. Okay, let's talk about when is it appropriate to pivot your business and when should you wait? When should you look for signals and be patient and wait? So Mooch so kindly has volunteered a really quality issue to process today. So Mooch, yeah. we're putting you on, on the spot. As, Let's as, dig into it. As fixing my stopwatch. 
I feel bad because one of your other questions on the partnership was like, when do partnerships act, apps actually go well? And the and my best ones were also ones where one guy raised the money and I did the operation. He did something I couldn't do, and I did something he couldn't do. There was yeah, no. That's what I Mike said: is know your strengths and you, and don't you do can't, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't do don't do the same thing. Then you're never battling over the same thing. Don't choose somebody that's like you. All right. So I have so last week when we're talking, I'm coming to a realization that. I may I do plenty well in my rentals. I do plenty well in my software companies, and but I'm not doing as well as I was doing a couple of years ago. I shared with you guys a lot, I, I, offline, like seventy five percent decrease in my income from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty three. Still, no one would feel sorry for me about my twenty twenty three, but it was also come to this realization of what am I spending time on? What is stressing me out? You know, what's working and what's not. And in, um, and in my current real estate markets, because that's still where I get my extra income. Essentially, my, my rentals and my software is my horizontal income. It'll cover whatever lifestyle I want, really. Um, but, the, but I like to flip houses. I like to buy deals and fix them and sell them because it's like quick cash and you can go party on the weekend. You can buy another asset. Or you can do fun stuff with it. It's this fun, fun business that right now my business plan has come to a complete halt pretty much. And it's because of the areas where I am in the, in the market, man, we've got, I've got houses that are priced awesome, look awesome, priced below other stuff, look amazing. And, and we're just haven't had a showing in three weeks. Right. And so you go, but, and I, but I start looking nationwide and there's other places that are. When I first came out to Texas, I was put out of business in California. I was totally put out of business in California. I couldn't run my business plan there anymore. And I said, Hey, I think there might be this opportunity in Texas. And part of my business plan was I don't like bidding against other people for houses. I like finding the secret, being the only buyer so I can get the discounts. So I started flying to Texas every month and said, Hey, I can't do my business plan anymore. I'm just going to move to Texas. But I didn't move to Texas at the time. I would fly to Texas. I'd go be here for a few days and I'd fly back to California and I'd do it again the next month. And I was able to like rebuild my business because I found a market where my business plan worked. So my conundrum now. Is okay. We're gonna do this. Hold on. We're gonna do this Vistage style. Okay, Mikey, you know this. What is the how do I? Man, I don't know this. I don't know this drill. How do, the like, how do I? How do I what? So the so it would be how do I start uh, in doing flips in Scottsdale instead of uh, Austin? How do I do flips in Fayetteville, Arkansas? instead of Austin, like, how do I do, because there are certain markets where there's one or two months of inventory where once you get a property, the house is selling in a week. So my business plan works in those sorts of markets. I've done it before where I did it from far away, flew in. So it's like, so do I, or how do I, do I start doing what I did before? Do I fly to Arizona every month? Do I fly to Arkansas every month? Do I start over the grind of rebuilding a new business where the market allows my business plan? Or do I say, dude, you had a good run. Just chill, work on some of your other businesses right now. Um, because we, I moved my whole family out to Texas because Texas was that spot. You know, it was like, I was going here, I was going here, I was going here, then all my business was here, and now I'm here. And now I might be like, well, maybe my business plan works better in Arizona, or maybe it works better in Colorado or Arkansas. So, for what that's worth, that's an interesting Let's pivot that I'm going through. Let's ask thought, some questions. Even. Let's ask some yeah. questions and you keep your answers short, 15, 20 seconds. Okay. Mikey, you want to ask some questions? Of of Aaron? Of Aaron Mooch, yep. To get yeah. more clarity. Go. Yeah. Can 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 we talk about what markets? Because maybe I could buy an HVAC company there. You can flip houses and we'll just share a jet. <laughs> ah. 
The so I like that, right? So it really is. It's trying to fit. So the idea would be searching wherever is the best market right now, because that's what I do, right? I do the data and I find the places. And so it's so there, there's some early places where it's like it could be Phoenix right now, but but it's certain zip codes in Phoenix. It could be places in Arkansas. It could actually be like Northeast uh, and some other places where you got one to two months of inventory. There would also have to be a certain amount of foreclosure. So the data hasn't told me what markets yet. But the, but the question is like, so do the I find the absolute the market, best right? market for my business plan and then start going? Yeah, the question is not really what market, right? You know that better than anybody. That The question is, is... If I find the market. Or yeah, when do you... Maybe, yeah. maybe you find it, maybe you don't. Or, or the when question is not that, that leap of faith. Or do you pause? Yeah. yeah. The question is, is why, why am I... Why am I still interested in this vertical income business? Is the time benefit still worth it? Regard again, regardless of geography. And if it is, yes, yes, then the market is just the. I mean, you're better at determining the trend than anyone else. That's why you're called the trend spotter. So, so. Nobody's going to tell you where the trend is. You know that analytically better than anyone. The question, the pivot you're trying to ask yourself is really like, do I, do I go down another, you know, do I swing again? Do I look for another, you know, another runway or do yeah. I not? And why? Right. Is that what we're talking right, about? Do I go do it again? And, do I go do it again? Or do I chill? Like, because part of the, in some of the rough markets, it's like, no, just chill. Wait a couple of years. Or wait a year or wait until the opportunity comes. And when the opportunity comes, take it. And so that's one option, sit back and chill. And the other is going, well, there are certain markets where the opportunity is now. So do I want to do it? But the question, yes, the biggest question is, is the opportunity worth it right now? And is it me saying like, hey, don't be a whiner and give up. Like the, if, like if I was broke right now. I was going to say. Right. Your circumstances are dictating your decisions right now. If if you yeah. didn't have your net worth and horizontal income and the safety nets that you have, you'd be scrapping and clawing. There would be no, oh, I'm going to shut it down and you know go back and right. find a job mentality. Right. So I have I become a little bit weaker? Anymore. Maybe I'm just being a little bit weaker now. Maybe a little bit more meager. Like it's the it's but because I don't want because I also want to be giving people the advice that they should be doing based on where okay. they are in their world. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch this a little bit and I'm gonna be I'm gonna dig and I'm gonna and you can tell me if I'm going too far. Okay, Mooch. Let's do it. But, but where in your life did you experience that you have to keep going and you have to make more money even if you don't need to? What are you afraid of losing? There are toys that I want to buy that I can't buy right now. Nah, we know that's not what it is. The, Come that's, on. That's part of it. Like the, yeah, that's like part the, of it. But you you can buy the toys you want to buy now. So there yeah, there is the experience of going like so um so I've never not been going hard, right? So I was always needing something to fill the time with. And I talk about like so I could just golf all the time, I could surf all the time, I could just do hobbies all the time right now. And I don't know what causes me to say like, hey, but is that actually, um, is that actually like playing it good, too safe? The, the that's not the advice I, I would give a coaching client. I wouldn't give an, an advice of a coaching client of chill and do nothing if you see an opportunity somewhere else. Well, yeah, I feel like all of us could relate to that, right? Like at the end of the day, of all course. of us could stop and be hobbyists for the rest of our lives if we wanted to. And yet there's something, some ember burning within all of us that 
is requiring a daily gust of wind to go and do something purposeful and impactful and challenging. And, and to me, it's not uh, material possessions. Like sounds like some of the stuff for you is like, you want toys and I'm sure toys equal experiences and some of that kind of stuff. But to me, it's, it's not, I don't need to own or buy certain toys. I'll rent that shit. Or I got mooch for that. <laughs> I got, I got rich friends. I got for mooch that for that. Stuff, right. But I, I do think that there it's a, it's an interesting discussion, right? Cause I think for a lot of people, I was here and there was a guy, his name's Adam Weitzman. Uh, he's multi-billionaire. He, his, his dad started a, a, a trash company in New York. And then obviously, you know, uh, a generation later, he's got a multi-billion dollar trash, you know, waste management company. Join the mom. And yeah, <laughs> probably that too. But one of the things that he said the other day that I thought was really, really interesting, he's like, I've gotten fucking soft. He's like, what the the amount of money that I have has made me soft and I'm getting back to my roots. I'm getting back to my scrappiness. I'm getting back to my grindiness. I'm getting back to the grind because that's when I feel the most alive. That's when I'm making the best decisions. That's when I'm making the biggest impact on people. And I thought that was interesting, right? So like for, you, you get to a point where like, can money continue to drive and inspire the best in you every single day? I, I don't, at least for me, that doesn't resonate at a really high level. So this, this is why I want us to talk about this really openly because a lot of our audience talks about vertical and horizontal income. And uh, there is this expectation that once you solve the horizontal problem, that these things can start to happen. So Mooch, you have solved the horizontal problem. And yet yeah. you still have this desire to keep going. And perhaps it is, I don't think it is, but perhaps it is to buy toys. But there is a meaning attached to it. And so I'm trying to ask you to dig, to share the meaning for people. Is what is the business mean? What is the, what is the meaning that it gives you to then go chase or go to look? It's not the toys. It's the meaning behind the toys. Well, there's a success versus failure feeling for sure, right? Like the way that we keep score, right? The way that I keep score, you know, it's like winning or losing in business. Like I'm very proud of the times I went to zero and had to rebuild myself, right? Right. And now I get to knock on wood and say, I'll never go back to zero and have to rebuild myself. But it doesn't feel good to have a year, have years of, you know, a couple million in, in correction, right? It doesn't feel good. It'll be like, it doesn't feel good to have major change. And whether it's a hundred thousand dollars and then people, I remember when I was making $120,000 a year and I got cut to 65,000 as a salary. Right. So like to put it in everybody's perspective, yeah, like it's, it's just not fun to, or most of the agents out there right now making half the amount of money they were making before or mortgage brokers going from making 400 grand a year to now they got to go, like maybe they're going to sell cars and be making 75 grand a year. That is not a fun experience. And so even if like, so I think any one of those people, even if they were sitting back on savings, they would go like, well, hey, some of my self-worth is in that other stuff or some of that, some of my pride comes from going like, nothing can stop me. No market can stop me. And so it's, it's this, anal- so there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there, Ash, but it's saying like, hey, is it smart to, as a, as, is it just a smart business decision to sit back and wait for the next thing and not ju- start jumping on planes anymore and not start doing a whole bunch of other stuff? Or is that playing it too safe and too Mikey. soft? Because if there is opportunity to make money, like I feel like I should. 
Mikey, you, you're itching at the bit here. Go. Ugh, put me in. No, I just, <laughs> sorry. Um, I can tell. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting too. And I love, I love that Aaron brought this up because like, if you look backwards and Maddie kind of pointed this out, like when you came here being the trend spotter, you, you are now like anchored firmly in one of the best economies in, in the country, which is also where some of your challenges exist. Right. And so, um, I, I know you already know that, but it's like it, if you want to continue that trend, like you, you saw this coming and you're here and you anchored in it and you won, but you're not going to win like you won here uh, anytime soon. I mean, when you look at the stats on Texas and you know where Texas is going, and I mean, if you want to continue the wins, you have to, you have to do what you're saying. And I know you already know that, but it's kind of like the the real question for us. And I'll, I'll shift this. So when we think about like horizontal and vertical, and as I was listening to this, you know, your horizontal is fine. Horizontal is a safety thing. The whole reason that we all started wanting passive income is so that, you know, when you're talking about going from 125K to 75K, whether it's a mortgage broker or somebody in a W-2 job or a business owner, when I was running my business, which I call my flywheel, it's like the thing that was spinning off the cash. I started investing in property because I started thinking to myself 20, 30 years from now when I retire, I need that, I need that additional income. That's like a safety net thing for me. What naturally happens though, people like want to trade in their hamster wheel for what I call the flywheel. But then it's like there's this natural progression where, you know, we start thinking our 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 passive income gets to a point where it's like we we either get comfortable and we start living off of it and we lose that drive that you're talking about. Which I think this is the real problem. And I I I've been in a season. I, I feel like I've wasted some years. And at the end of the day, I don't, th- I think I brought this up a couple episodes ago. I've really wrestled with it and I don't feel like I actually wasted it because I was present with my kids and, you know, we had some good years. But man, those, the kids are out of the house and I'm like, I'm ready to grind again. Like, I'm ready to go. But finding that, like, that, that drive that was in me, like, some, man, it's, it's I've, I've actually, I'm getting, it's, it's harder different. and I'm, I'm going to put a podcast out on Monday that's like about an idle mind because I think so many people just sit around thinking about all the things that they could do. And, but I remember when I was younger, man, I didn't have time to think it was like, yeah, just go. Right. And so I'm like trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I refabricate that? And, And Mooch, I think you're just like, it's, there's like this hesitancy to get back into it because we've been, we've almost been scorched by the amount of time and energy and planes and being away from the family and, and, you know, the, the feelings of, so I, I think as we get older and we get more comfortable, um, it's a little bit more challenging to commit to, you know, to taking that step. And I know I'm feeling it. Like I'm really at this place where this is why the partnership conversation and everything is so real to me right now, because I know in order to go to where I want to go next, it's going to take a version of me that I've never experienced before and I've never built before. And, and I look back at some of the challenges that I've had that I've been through and I'm like, that, that's scary to me. And knowing that I got to go to an even bigger place as what I think kind of just scares us. We're like, man, I got to become a bigger version of myself. And it just scares the living hell out of me, to be honest. But, but I know I'm not going to be happy and I'll end with this. I'll toss it off to someone else. There's a guy that I've gotten to know recently. His name's John Matson, and he's a ex Raiders NFL player, um, big fitness health coach. And man, he's just like in your face. And he made this comment to me. He said, "You know, like when we get to the point 
where we just say, hey, I want to be wealthy just because I want to be wealthy. I want to have amazing experiences. And I just want more than what I have right now. Like when we get to the point where we just accept that, then you'll you'll be okay with just saying it. One thing for me, like if I was going to take my whole family to Dubai right now and have like an amazing over-the-top experience for 10 days and fly, you know, like on the this lay down suites and dude, I wouldn't spend the money on those suites. Not not for my not for my whole family. Not right now. Um, and I wouldn't spend the money, you know, to be at the penthouse of the Burj, whatever it's called. Like, nope, not not right now. But I want that. Yeah. And I'm okay saying, you know, I want that experience. I want that experience for me. I yeah. want it for my family. But what the health coach said, and this is what really shifted it for me. We get to a point where we're comfortable saying it about wealth and making money. Kinda. Like we still don't want to say it to everyone. But he also made the comment, he's like, even with health, like we we lie to ourselves and we say, well, I want to be around when, you know, when I'm a hundred and and see my grandkids. And that might be part of it. But he's like, if you're not lying to yourself, you just want to look really freaking good on the boat. Or you want to look really good on the beach, or yeah. when you're having sex with your wife, like you want her get to be specific. attracted to you. Get your but get you don't specific say, is what you're saying. We don't yeah. say it. We don't say it because we like dance around the issues. And and so I think Mooch, back to I'm so resonating with what you're saying because there's two things for me. I want to make a shit ton more money in life because I don't have everything I want. The experience is included, as Maddie would say. Like I and and even like Ariel, Aaron, you and I went to Ariel BVI with some friends. I want to rent yep. that island and take my whole family there. And then 100%. the next week have Kara's family fly in. I'm not at a place where I can do that. And so yeah, I want to make a shit ton more money yet. I want to make a shit ton more money. But the other side that's really challenging for me is like, I know I'm gonna have to become a person, a better version of me, and work really freaking hard for it. And I don't like sometimes I just don't want to. <laughs> I, that's real. Right. Marie and I are joking around right now. We want a third kid and both of us are like, we don't want to fucking do all the work that goes into that shit. That's a lot of work. But I think, right, it's like picking the, you. do you want the outcome that bad? You figure out a way to metamorphosize yourself and your life and your skills and your mindset to go and become whatever it is that gets that, right? That was an important dialogue mike and i think i think the one thing i think people should get out of what you just said are two things number one is get super clear on what you want and say it out loud right get to the truth of what you really want and say it out loud and the second thing that was really profound is that you were scared that those feelings are really important signals of shifts in your life that you need to pay attention to and not run away from and so what you so well articulated is that it's okay to feel the fear, the stress, the anxiety, the almost the resistance of that. But that is like your body telling you that you're about to have huge breakthroughs. Don't run away. Stay here. Move. Go deeper. Go get more specific. Like very important. Very important. I, I mean, I'm doing the same thing. You guys know what we're talking about on the chat. So this is super important. And I will share that every single person on this podcast is, and we talk about this all the time, is like what you see on social media is all bullshit. This, what all of these guys are suffering through and and really slugging through, dragging their feet through the mud, this shit is real. So I appreciate, Mike, you sharing some real talk. Mooch, you have a thought? Um, that, so that was great. I thought that was, I mean, that was what I wanted to be able to have out of the topic. Like just that understanding that there's, there's times to figure out like, you know, is this it or not? Cause what I told, what I said last week to people is don't try to fit a round peg in a square hole. So, so sometimes you need to 
pause and sometimes you need to wait and sometimes you need to be patient of your moment. Then if you see that moment, but it's a major life change, it becomes this thing of going like, yeah. So the only other thing actually, as you were saying that, the only other thought I would share with you is that you did it in California. You did it in Texas. And so what is the meaning of doing it again and again and again? And you're going to end up in having the same conversation again in three years after you move to wherever you just said. And so there may be a little bit more thought of, well, what happens after that one matures and, and, uh, whatever you call a market when they go full cycle or whatever. That's probably the most profound thing. You're going to end up in the same spot. You're going to end the same spot you are right now in another five years after you fly around the country and do all that. So where, what I love what Mike said is like, you need to go past the boat. There's something way deeper than, because you're just, you're just chasing like a hamster, the next bucket and you're going to end up in the same. Oh, okay. Now it's no longer an Austin. Oh. It's over here. I'm going to go spin around for another five years. Then I'm going to be done with that. And I'm like, Oh, do I pivot again? Oh, but you didn't have I, any really breakthrough. Or I, I become I okay with, or I just say, that's what I do is every three to five years. I find Maybe. a new market. I was just going to say, that was my point. It was, you said it earlier, Aaron, you're saying it right now. If you're so convicted on your own truth and what it is that you believe is best for you and your life and your goals, and and you're at the root of like, it's not a facade answer, but like you've done the work to get clarity on why you're doing what you're doing and the purpose behind it. And it is what you want to do. And that is your truth. Who fucking cares if I say, Aaron, you're chasing something, man. Why are you going after all this extra stuff, right? Or the guy that says he wants to yep. be a billionaire. Why are you going after being a billionaire? Why do you need more? Da, 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 right? Like, I don't think Aaron owes it to any of us to explain why he needs to go and chase more stuff. Do I agree with it or do, who fucking cares? I mean, if I, if I, if it was Aaron, right? I I'm would not, take our no, it's like being a storm chaser. I'm not punishing mooch for going after the next market what i'm saying is that if if mooch is interested in being the billionaire he he can keep making money that's fine but just going from one market to the next may not make him a billionaire there may be another question he should be asking that's deeper that's a 10x or a 2x yeah yeah 10x or 2x that's what i'm saying i don't think this is really so like you know and i don't McDonald's. I don't know like, what the answer is because he's the trend spotter. Well, so I'm just going to follow him anyways. <laughs> I think I think what you just said is the key to this. Like sometimes our superpower and our greatest gifting is the thing that we come to despise. And I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, possessions and everything else. Like Aaron could stop whenever he wants. But the reality is like his gift, the thing that I'm seeing through this is like, when, when we think about like, there's, there's all these things as real estate investors, when, you know, when we see McDonald's coming in, or when you see like these certain Costco's going to put a something somewhere, like you should invest there. You should put, you know, if a hospital is getting built, you should put an apartment there. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking like, if Aaron's moving to a new market, I'm going to like, I don't think this has anything to do with money. I think this has to do with Aaron's like ability to see the amazing. And I think the big, the bigger version of Aaron is like, how do I see that next thing without like, you know, if he, if he doesn't want to put in that level of work, then how do I see the next big, if I'm going to do it again in five years, how do I build the team that's just going to go, you know, be boots on the ground every five years when I go through this process again and not have to move my family every time? Maybe that's the better question. Yeah. Right. But I'm going wherever Aaron goes. 
Fun yeah, combo. so in, in a few episodes, guys, you will hear where we're going next <laughs> in two or three weeks. Hey, the coolest part about that is all the big moves that I did in like 2021 and 2020. I was announcing it on the podcast as I was doing it. And anybody that would have followed going. me would have 10x their money too. So yeah. fun stuff. Guy, thank you for you know, letting us have that topic for a little bit today. And, and we're may, I, I think we still have some time. Maybe we can quickly process and go around the table talking about when it is important to look at opportunities and walk away from deals or walk away from business opportunities. Um, we talked a little bit about partnerships. We talked about big life changes or pivots. Maybe this one kind of nicely walks into it. Maddie, you want to lead what's on your mind here? Yeah. I mean, I think we probably can all relate to certain deals that you did and or didn't do. And in hindsight, right, you're like, man, that was the right decision. Or maybe you second guess yourself of whether that was the wrong decision. Right now, I'm in one of those scenarios where I am walking away from a deal that emotionally, based on my vision, based on it being a 10x move, based on it checking all of the boxes, it feels like it needs to check for me. On paper, and and what the data is telling me and what some of the, you know, the due diligence has told me, I got to walk away from this thing. So it's been challenging because I'm walking away from about, you know, 50k of inspections and consultants and, you know, time and money and my team and flights and all kinds of stuff. Right. But at the same time, it's gotten to a point now where all of the things I know I need to have in place to be a financially prudent decision that I'm mitigating my risk that I feel like, you know, is aligned with all of the things that we need to be in line to go and, you know, spend 8 million bucks on uh, an asset is, is not there. And it's been really challenging for me, to be honest. Um, I've been in this push pull mental battle. You know, I feel like one side is like Rocky, the other side is Apollo. And I'm like, no, you can figure this out. Push your way through. This is your big moment, right? Stay here. You're uncomfortable, all of this. And then at the other side, I'm like, but the numbers are saying this, and there's still these things that are really unclear that could totally screw X, Y, and Z up. And so I've been in this push and pull, you know, um, debate for myself where it could still be a good deal. I could still find a way to create a scenario and a circumstance and a story in my head and a plan to support it still being a good deal. But it could also end up being a really high paying job that is actually a 2x move. And the 10x move might be right around the corner that because I made this tough and challenging decision, even though emotionally I want to go all in on this thing, there's something in my gut that's telling me I shouldn't. And that might be the, you know, the, the test that I need to pass in order to get this next big opportunity that's right around the corner based on all these things I've learned, all these new disciplines and skills I've gained over time that have proven to me and to maybe the universe or God or whatever you believe in that there's this next opportunity right around the corner for me. And I've been struggling with that because I could technically move forward with this deal. Um, and at the same time, there's there's a lot of things that are telling me that I, I can't move forward with this deal. And I'm curious from your guys' perspectives, because there's been deals that I've gone against my gut on and I've actually paid for it. Um, in a bad way. And then there's been other times that even though, you know, emotionally 
maybe, you know, I wasn't all the way in, but the data told me to do it and I had a good plan and I had good people and a team around me and I did go all in. It turned out to be amazing and I'm glad that I did do it. So I'm, I'm really kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place. And I feel like now more than ever, there's a lot of people that I'm talking to that are in these types of scenarios, not just in a real estate deal. Maybe it's in a business partnership. Maybe it's in your own business in a different industry or space. Maybe it's a job you're looking at taking or doing, right? Um, and, and this decision matrix of like when to move the needle forward or kind of going back to this discussion we've having of like, when do you pause and, and how do you make that decision not to do something? And sometimes not doing something is even more powerful than going and taking action on something. Let's go around the table and give him some thoughts and feedback. Who wants to start? I just, I have a question. Yeah, go. There's, is there any, like, is there any shortcomings, limiting beliefs? Is it, is there any capital issues? Is there any of those things that are keeping you from moving forward? Cause outside of that, it sounds like, you know, the answer. Cause some, yeah. I'm, the only reason I'm asking this too, is just like, sometimes, you know, there's data and then, and then sometimes there's challenges and I just don't know if I want to put forth the effort to overcome these roadblocks. And so then the, you know, and then there's data as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both for me in this situation right now. I mean, when it comes to, and this kind of goes back to my last partnership, I took on that partnership in a big way because this individual had a good chunk of capital, which to me was a mental safety net that allowed me to go a little bit further out in front of my skis. And it paid off. It paid off. This one, I've got all the capital lined up, but the one safety net is my capital. And there's this sense of, I guess, a little bit of scarcity in my mind that if any one of these things could go wrong, which there is the potential to go wrong and the data supports it and those challenges are real, I'm not just making them up up in my head, that I could, with this being a bad decision, take three or four or five or 10 steps backwards. This, If I'm going for a 10x leap, I also have the ability to do a 10x landslide. And to me, that is scary. You know, I'm being completely honest and transparent here. It's scary. And while I've always bet on myself, I'm kind of relating a little bit to what you said earlier, Mike. I'm sitting on more cash than I've ever had in my life. I'm feeling a little bit comfortable right now. I'm having this energy and urgency and this sense of going on a 10x mission. And yet there's also everything that goes along with it of how could it potentially mess up my family or the finances that I currently have? Am I trying to force a 10x opportunity when there's some certain red flags in this opportunity? So uh, that's that's where I'm struggling. But to, to answer your question directly, um, I've got pretty much everything I need in place with minimal safety nets that it would all fall back on me if something went wrong. And there's still some red flags in the deal through the due diligence that I don't have enough time to basically, I got to come up with additional capital to extend my DD period. And I don't think the timeline and the additional capital is warranted to potentially take that risk right now. I mean, I, I think you, you're a go, Mike. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just, do, do you think, do you think that if you said I'm walking away at this point that you would have to? Come up with additional capital to extend the DD? I, I've already done that. 
we're, we're basically, and there's a lot more detail to the deal, but yeah. there, there's a price reduction and there's a time extension. And she's, you know, essentially claiming that she, she doesn't have the ability to go down on price anymore. And got if, it. Got it. And if I want additional time extension that I got to, you know, pay for it. Um, and she wanted an increase in price. So we're kind of going in opposite directions here, but, um, but it is one of those things where it, you know, on paper, this deal has everything I want to take that next 10 X, 10 X leap in my hospitality journey. And I'm walking away from it. And I feel like I'm, I'm really torn going, am I walking away from an opportunity that I'm really, really going to regret? Or is this the kind of pressure I need around me right now to force a new Maddie A diamond that I don't have currently in my hand? I have, I have a few thoughts. Number one is you're, you're already a pretty efficient thinker. So I think you already do know the answer to this. I think the gift in this is the, Mike was alluding to this a little bit of the like life limiting belief, the I must in order to, um, that is forcing you to do things that you probably instinctually know you shouldn't do. I also feel like real estate is a fun category and, and you guys can comment on this more than I can that, you know, there are times where you have headwinds and there's times where you have tailwind. And right now you probably, and if you've listened to the last few weeks, there's probably more headwind than less. And so that, that comes into your calculation. It does. Right. In terms of just general odds, 50, 50 odds that are you, am I going to have tailwind here or headwind bottom line? Yep. And the third thing is, and again, I think you guys can answer this better than I can, is that, is there a false premise that this is the deal that it's going to be? And there's no other deal that exists that can accomplish what I'm trying to do. I think in real estate, that's sort of maybe a farce. Again, I'm looking for you guys to give clarity on this, but I'm sure that that's a trap for people that I look at an asset. This is the only asset that can, I can build this type of wealth with. Now, when you're talking about a business with a bit like a product or an invention or a, a technology or a or something, maybe that is one in three or one in ten that exists in the world that you're like, I have to bet on this because if I don't bet on this, I may never ever get another chance. And this is the right time looking at headwinds, looking at tailwind. But is you know, how much of this is sort of your own storytelling? And again, you are an efficient thinker. But that's that could be your trap. Is that like, am I convincing myself that this is the deal? One hundred percent. And you're right. You could find one two months from now. So I'd love to to answer shoot that, that back to I, you, real estate no, boys. Yeah, go has some comments on this, but to me, it was yeah. Um, actually, I'm gonna let Mooch go because I got my landscapers right out my window. So go ahead. Yeah, I got a list. I got I, I like I got a list of stuff I wanted to say, but the um, actually, that's a really good point. Right for a non real estate guy, the um, I've got a list of uh, my experience stuff, and then a, and then maybe some digging items on it. Like, are you bummed about walking away from your fifty k more than you are about losing a big deal, or is it or like because fifty k isn't small; it's not nothing to lose. And is it like almost like so? Is your deal of wanting to keep party party you want to keep going because it's the deal of the century? Party wants to keep going because you don't lose your fifty k and and feel like you walked away does, does that matter at all just, he's got the landscaper so maybe i'll have to just keep it's going and it's loud yeah no we, we can, can hear, hear you fine maddie we can hear you fine go ahead so just a quick uh, question before i'll fire off my other stuff 
Um, re, re, re say the question. Cause I couldn't even hear it. So the, so is part, so right now you're like walking away from 50 grand and I hate walking away from earnest money on stuff. So is part of the reason to want to go forward to not lose the 50 grand or is it just, re, or is it re, uh, Sorry. So that's a, it doesn't matter. No. Um, and, cool. and, and I'm, and I'm not going forward cause, uh, it, it, it's Unless not, it it's back. not the 50 K and, and to go back to, you know, your, your point. The emotional side of me is like, this deal fits all of the things that I want in an asset. This is going to be the asset that I take my hospitality career to the next level in. And I build my brand to that next level in. And, you know, it adds a line on my resume that people go, oh my gosh, right? So there's that ego and emotional side of me. And also just the strategic side of going, this this makes sense. This is a great stepping stone from a wealth perspective, a career perspective, right? Got I've it. thought it through on a lot of capacities, but then there's the principal side of me and the level-headed logical side of me that goes back to your point, Ash, which is real estate deals are like buses. There's always another one right around the corner. And you let the numbers and the the plan behind the numbers and the team who's going to actualize those numbers really kind of be my final decision. And and so So, that's what's leading my decision of walking away from a lot of time, a lot of energy. I mean, my whole freaking staff has been spending the last 30 days, pretty much seven days a week. We're not just, you know, buying a commercial real estate property and we're looking at the leases and we're doing our inspections on, you know, the main infrastructure. No, this is like, I'm going through a restaurant business acquisition. I'm going through an events business acquisition. I'm going through a hotels business acquisition. In addition to a bunch of other programming that I want to layer in with the distillery and the spirits. So it's been an around the clock thing. Our whole team is emotionally invested and I've sold them on this vision. And now I'm getting to a point where I'm going. This is a good topic. Good example. guys. We have to walk away from this and here's why. And not everybody agrees, not everybody, right? But I'm having to make a tough decision that I think is, in the grand scheme of things, the best thing based on our bigger mission that we're all bought into as an organization. Dude, Maddie, the coolest thing is you've leveled up into a different part of development. Like this is, because this is big boy development stuff where it's not abnormal to spend 50, 100 or 200 grand to find out that it's not a good deal. Yeah, uh, people like I remember when we were looking at buying uh, oil fields you know, a few years ago. We were putting together a little, and the and me and one of the guys that you guys know, we were partnering on on buying these. And the guy that we were hiring, he's like, "Cool." So every time we get one in escrow, we spend a hundred to one hundred fifty grand, and we're only going to buy like one of the six, right? And we're like, "What?" So we're going to lose a hundred and fifty, and we're going to walk away and lose a hundred and fifty and walk away and a hundred fifty and walk away. But the one that we keep, well, but that's the one you're going to make millions on. So like now you're going to be into this development level. Where if done properly, if it's a 10x type development deal, that you'll actually walk away from two or three or four before you find the one that can properly level Great up. Point. So it's all about like establishing contracts in the way that like it, it's it was land deals when we were home builders. We'd pay a certain amount for the first option, a certain amount six months later, a certain amount six months. So you have now leveled up into big boy development, which is that idea of getting you and your your people on. Is like not every deal you're gonna do, and some of them you're gonna you guys are gonna spend months trying to get one. To realize it's not the one, yep. but that's like practice for the next one. A couple fire round stuff, like all of my best deals, I knew it the whole time. Mm. Like I've had deals that were like iffy that I took risks on that turned that's out okay. Um, but all of my best deals, every step of the process, I was like home run, home run, home run, home run. I can't believe I'm able to buy this. 
If I can just get the money together, I'm going to buy this. Best deals I've ever done never was questioned. And I've made money mm. taking risk, right? Where it's like, ah, it might be on the fence and it turned out better, but I've only lost money when I was like, I never lost money on one that I go, I know this is going to be a hundred percent deal. So my best deals, I knew the whole time it was going to be awesome. I can see you guys shaking your heads. I think it's probably similar. You know, losing the 50 grand, no biggie. You've lost 50 grand on a flip before. I'm sure I, I'm going to lose probably a hundred grand on three of the flips I have right now on each of them. Um, <laughs> Uh, value, property values have changed a lot in even the last 90 days on whatever asset you're looking at. So if you started looking at it 90 days ago, and even though the sellers haven't looked at that, um, it's good probably like a better, like the question to tell yourself that it sounds like you probably are is like, will a better deal, you know, become available soon? Like six months from now, wherever, whatever market you're in, if, if you're in like the commercial hospitality, whatever, six months from now, I think that you'll find a better one. And I love Ash saying like, it's almost like the never fall in love with a deal, like thinking that there's only like, this is the only one that's going to provide that option. Mm -hmm. you know, you'll have 10 people trying to buy a house that say, this is the dream house is the only house I want to raise my kids in, but only one family gets to buy it. And the other nine don't kill themselves. They go find a different one and they tell themselves the same story later. Uh, throwing good money after bad is a funny one. Um, like that I tend to do a lot. Um, so don't like not falling in love with the deal in the oil one. I'm going to give one example of where I went ahead with a deal recently and I'm not sure if it was a good idea or not. So I locked up the land and the, and it was like first, like five grand for the first 60 days, 60 days. And we went through our due diligence said, okay, we are going to be able to zone change this from industrial. It's right next door to another apartment that I had. So I had to pay another $50,000 extension at that point, like six months later, city council, we get approval um, to actually get be able to put 96 class A units in downtown in the city right next to my other one. We're getting the zone change, but I now I don't have the money to clear it because the zone change didn't happen fast enough. So now I've got to get my my uh, funding in place. And at that point, it was like, because the goal, first goal was to have my funding in place before in that first six months, development took longer. So I had to pay an extra $150,000 for my next like nine month extension. So nine months later, I'm now $200,000 invested in it. And like 90 days before closing, the banks are falling apart, which is all the banks and stuff that's been happening recently. And my partner that was going in on it with me that the whole time was going to be covering everything. He just goes, no, I'm not in anymore. And so I came, so now it's like a week before closing and I'm like, cool, I lost 200 grand on that deal. I'm walking away from closing. And because the seller wouldn't discount, they wouldn't like come back to me on the table. I'm like, I knew prices were down. And I did, I changed my way of thinking and pushing forward on it and we'll see if it was a good deal or not. So one of the, so the purchase price, $1.3 million. Well, I wanted them to sell to me for like 1.1 or like 1 million to understand that prices have gone down. I wanted them to come to terms with the fact that prices have gone down, but they just didn't believe that. And they believed that another seller lined up. So then I had to look at it and say, look, I've already lost my 200 grand. It's gone. Poof, burned. So like that 200 grand is gone. It could apply toward the purchase price, but I have to think as if that's gone because I no longer wanted to buy it for 1.3 with 30% down. But once I realized that 200 grand was burnt, it was like, well, would I buy it for 1.1 with 10% down? Because all I needed to close at that point was an extra 100 grand uh, to close. So would I buy it for 1.1 with 10% down knowing that I just burned that 200 grand? So I went ahead with the purchase. I've got that land. I'm leasing it back to the people in the warehouse right now with the hope. And I had two, I had two lines of thought. One was good money after bad. I was like, well, maybe I could just sell it for 1.2 and instead of losing 200 grand, I'll lose 100 grand. One was like, maybe this will be the deal that like bad. timing mm -hmm. works out right. So like, so the, um, so I, so there's one that, and now ap after the fact, should I have walked away at 50 grand before my next one, 150? Yes, I would be happier with that decision. If, if six months in, 
I would have realized the market was changing or if I'd have realized that partner was going to bail. And I remember the day that I wired the next 150. And even that was a negotiation because I had to tell them, no, I'm walking away. I was supposed to wire like 300,000 that day. I was able to convince them to have it be less. And I remember being pumped when he agreed to it. Like, yes, I just gave him 150 more instead. And we got our extension thinking I'm going to, because the appraisal had come in like 5 million bucks more than we thought it was going to be for now. It's completed. I'm like, oh, it's going to be perfect. But anyway, man, I've done all the wrong things too of good money after bad. Uh, I wish I would have walked away on that one. And we'll see. Maybe it'll be one that turns out fine, even though I went against my best advice. But you know, when you find that great one, dude, you're going to invest your 50 or 100 grand in due diligence and go, this is a home run the whole time. Yeah. You'll know. I love that you brought that up because honestly, every home run deal I've ever had has been an unwavering belief and confidence throughout the entire process. Even when challenges yeah. came up, right? You're like, okay, we can we can figure that out. We'll overcome that. Here's the plan. There's been so many things that have come up in this due diligence process that I'm like, it's it's knocked my confidence down. And and normally I'm like a chest out. I'm I'm stepping with some some swagger. And this one I'm like, damn, that's and and, and also my team I've seen their confidence not be at the level that it normally is in certain areas. So to me, that was somewhat validation. And I think, you know, when you brought that up, I was like, we've had other deals that have had hair on it and really challenging, but we've had a plan and we've been confident the whole time. And it, it was hard work, but we crushed it. This one, even though, you know, it checks a lot of boxes, putting those two dots together as you brought that up makes me realize that it, it, it's got to, it's got to roll. We got, we got, we got to, we got to go in a different direction. Maddie, Mikey, go. It, like two thoughts on that, you know, just like your team and, and you, you know, what, what is, what is success? Like we have this idea in our head that success is closing the deal, right? When, I mean, I, I know that you don't think that, but like, after having your ass handed to you through this process, um, and then the team specifically, like I'm hearing that success, and I think you just got to go back and share this with the team and get their head right on it. Success is, hey, we did all of this, and whether we buy or walk away, we're we're better for it, right? And yeah. but but I wanted to earlier. I was just thinking about this too, and man, we're. We're, we're so complex and amazing. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to know you pretty well over the years. And so I think probably everybody on this call would relate to this, but through this process, like we're so good at envisioning and creating, like we're creators. And through this entire process, you and your team have seen what this is going to look like when you move in and when you take over and when you execute. And I was just listening to this whole thing. And it's like, God, we're so powerful, like to be able to just be visionaries and, and create businesses out of nothing. Yet when we don't move into that room that we created, like we just got to be just really aware of that because you guys have already like, you've already moved into this. Like you mm. moved into the restaurant and you moved hotel's into the Hotel's already open, that, right? Yeah. Mike, the hotel's already open. The restaurant's already open. open. Yeah. And so, but you know, I'll just like, I'll stop with this. Like I'm just realizing listening to this, such a valuable takeaway for me because success is not whether I close or don't close. Like success is, as Aaron said, like we grew through the process. Like yeah. we became a bigger version of us. And, but I think sometimes in our linear mind, we've already moved into the building and the team thinks in their head that success is closing. 
And that's not necessarily the case. Success could be walking away from the deal. Mm. It's, it's true in real estate and it's true in any business that you should never fall in love with your product. But the visioning is incredibly helpful because yeah. it gives you the it gives you the strength when everything else doesn't make sense, the numbers don't make sense, there's obstacles, there's headwinds. You you so believe in that that vision. I remember I we still experience this now that when somebody sells a really hard deal, that's when the easy part is over and the hard part starts. So like I love when sales guys say kind of like you saying, "Hey, we closed the deal. The hard part's over." No, the hard part hasn't even started. That that was the easy part. The hard part is opening up the restaurant, getting the hotel built, renovating it, you know, launching the distillery brand. We sell deals over 2, 3, 4 years sometimes. And then we get a purchase order and the sales guys like, "The hard part's over." We haven't, we haven't even started yet. That was the easy part. Now we got to actually make something. We got to actually solve, you know, we got to defy physics to get this accomplished. So I think it's a really good conversation to have. I'm sure a lot of people experience this. I know all founders suffer or struggle through this. So um, great conversation today, boys. Any, let's kind of go around the horn. Any last thoughts? I think this is episode number six of The King's Table. Let's start with Mr. Mooch. Or let's my finish last, with Mr. Mooch. Go. Yeah. Yeah. My, well, my, my last thoughts, a really quick, easy one. Like some of the most money I ever made on a deal was not doing the deal. Mm. Right. Like just actually like walking away. And then, so one of the oil fields that we almost bought ended up just tanking and we would have lost like a million bucks probably over like a six, nine month period. And the, and, and me and my buddy, we will talk about it being the best deal we ever did was not doing that deal. Right. So sometimes we got, sometimes you got to walk away from the deal or walk away from the idea or walk away from the pivot or walk away from transferring markets. So sometimes walking away will make you way more money than any deal you will ever buy. Um, so anyway, I love it. And you, and you said this earlier, right? Maddie too, is that be careful in buying a job because the time allocation of that is also a lost opportunity. Mikey, final thoughts? Well, I, I you know, you kind of said this at the end and this is probably a conversation for the next time, but sometimes the easy part is the sales process um, and then the real work begins. I, I think we should, uh, I think we should talk about that next time. Cause you know, my thing was like sales or operations, we'll go into it next time. But just thinking through, you know, Maddie's situation and everything, like, you know, sometimes when we're this far into it, it's like, man, we've put so much work into it, but it's really, we've just really just started, man. It's just, just scratching the surface. The only other thought that I had, Maddie is like the, the state that this deals in, like, I don't know, worst case you had to move there and you'd save a bunch of money on taxes. So maybe you should factor that in. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, that's that's been a, a thought. It really has that been. that and we would and that and we would have a really good hotel stay in Vegas next time we would go. So we'd we'd all save a little bit of money next time we go to Vegas. The King's Table uh, Conference twenty twenty four. Tell me it was in Vegas, Maddie. <laughs> It's my whole Vegas. my whole advice would have changed. Yeah, I anyway. was gonna say Mooch oh. is, Mooch is ch changing his advice now. Yeah. Okay, Maddie. Awesome final time, time, guys.
Find your I, thoughts, Maddie. Go. My, my final thoughts is to the point of what Mike said, and and I feel this in in my heart and for my team, and I've, I've I have communicated this to them is. And this is, I think, a metaphorical, you know, uh, mantra for life as well, which is, you know, it's not about the the destination. It's it's who you become on the road to getting to where you want to get to. And even oftentimes the destination is completely different than, you know, where you put in the GPS in the first place. But I know what I am most proud about, and I think what many people should consider too, is not measuring their happiness or their 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 definition of success based on the outcome more so on doing the what you know you needed to do in order to level up in that process with a hundred percent effort and with the right intention and attitude and just I, I'm oh, I'm okay with the outcome as emotionally as it like still is is bothering me, and I might feel differently about this in five or ten years down the road. I feel so proud and so great about the effort and the intention and the attitude that our team showed up with every single day. And even though, as Mike said, right, many people might measure success as us closing the deal, which I would in in some capacity. I think I'm more proud about all of us elevating our game through the process and getting to a point where we can say, we can't move forward with this deal. We got to walk away from this deal. And a more immature business owner or investor would probably be saying something different and or moving forward with this deal. So um, I think, you know, a lot of people might be able to relate to that in some capacity of their own journey. And, uh, you know, the gap in the game mentality, right? Is my deal that mm. I'm measuring it against is I should have closed this deal. That's my ideal outcome. But really that is living in the gap versus the gain is me and my team have grown and elevated our skills, our acumen, and and really have grown even tighter and, and become better because of where we end up today. And, and I'm proud of that. And that's, that's the, the gain mentality I'm going to live with today. Yeah, I love it. I think we had really good conversations today. This was a really good topic. I, I, I definitely learned a lot. I think if all of this was easy, we would have billionaires everywhere, right? So I think we process some really good issues. We're learning. I think the audience, hopefully you guys are really engaging with this content. Another episode of the King's Table. Thanks so much for listening. Definitely reach out to any of us to connect. Uh, we'll put Maddie's cell phone number in the show notes so you could give him text feedback. You guys know how to get a hold of us. You can find us on all the major um, podcast systems. You can also find us on YouTube. So leave us comments. Tell us, give us some feedback. Tell us what you want to hear more us from us. And uh, the cost of listening is that you share it with somebody that may get benefit from the content. Thank you so much. Until next time. See you, boys. Cheers. Until next time. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>